Many of you don't know uh, what Donna's dealing with this week. And her mom just got a real bad diagnosis, uh, terminal cancer, and she spent the week with her. So uh, that second verse, uh, when our plans have fallen through, we don't plan for those things, do we? And when our strength is almost gone, when there's nothing left to do but rely on you and the power of your word. And so I think that was very real to Donna this morning. And so I kind of put her on the spot. And uh, we didn't have that in the first service, but I'm preaching on, of course, Palm Sunday. And, and uh, so I asked her if she'd sing it. And uh, maybe I shouldn't have, but... <laughs> Lord, praise the Lord for it, and and uh, great message to the song, and and uh, but you'll know why her heart was so heavy while she was singing. So pray for her. Why don't we just take a moment, and pray for her, and pray for Edith and Robert. They buried their grandson on Friday, and I was thankful to hear that uh, the gospel was preached at the service. Uh, just 22 years old, and uh, he had sustained an injury at work, and ended up in the hospital. Cut some fingers off. Ended up in the hospital. And caught COVID two times, and the second time took his life. And so, um, 22 years old, wife and a little child. And so we need to remember uh, them in prayer, and and Edith and Robert. And uh, Edith has taken her granddaughter in and trying to help them. And and so let's remember them, and let's remember Donna's family in prayer. And especially we're praying for some time for Donna's mom uh, so that she might accept the Lord. All right, so let's pray for an open door for the gospel. So let's have a word of prayer this morning, and we'll ask God uh, to intervene and help these folks. And, and uh, I just think we ought to do that right now. So, Pastor Paul, why don't you stand and pray for these folks this morning? Father, we're, we're thankful, Lord, for your love for us. Oh God. oh, God, I pray, Lord, that you bless Donna and comfort her heart and be with her mom, Lord. May her mom turn to you before it's too late. Thank you for the services, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with Edith and Robert and their family at the passing of this grandchild. Jonathan, Lord, just 22, has six brothers and a sister and mom and dad and a wife and child left behind, Lord. I pray that you'd work a mighty work there. Thank thee, Lord, for your love for us. I pray, Lord, you'd bless this service. Bless each one here. Thank thee, Lord, for putting your arm around me when I got saved, Lord. Thank thee for everyone that's encouraged me ever since, too, Lord. <laughs> Lord, it'll be good when we're with you in heaven and we won't even have to sleep anymore, Lord. We'll just be rejoicing around you all the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let me encourage you uh, tomorrow, Lord willing, tomorrow you should receive another email uh, promoting Resurrection Sunday. And I would encourage you, please pass that on. Forward that to some friends with maybe a personal note at the top, inviting them to come next Sunday morning. We have 10 to 15 spots left in our 1030 service. It's pretty full at this point. But we do have uh, some spots, maybe 30 left at the 8.30 service, and we'd encourage you, invite people to come to that, all right? And I'm thankful for how many guests we have signed up already and how many uh, are, of you folks signed up early to help us organize those services. 
but please sign up, all right, and uh, get, get some folks to sign up for that, and we'll come and have a great time in the house of the Lord. Now, if you're not getting those emails and you know that we have your email, uh, check your junk folder, and I'm not sure uh, why Bethel Baptist Church would go in a junk folder, but that's, I guess, maybe the devil does that, but uh, I, I've heard especially if you have Gmail, it is putting it into social Whatever that means, there's different files apparently, and if you're online, and, it, and there's one that's called social, and it puts all, anything you get from a, a mail list into that place. And so, but on the, if you go find that email, on the bottom of the email, you can click a little link, it'll say, add us to your address book. And when you do that, from now on, it'll come to your inbox, okay? That's how it's supposed to work. And so if you could do that, if we don't have your email, please get that to us. Just fill out a connection card and give it to somebody, a staff, or you can just drop it in the offering box is fine. And we'll make sure you start getting those emails. And uh, it's important that we, we have a way to connect in this day that uh, things are so restricted. But I'm glad that we have so much ability to connect with one another in other ways. And so please get a hold of that and invite people and then, then pray. Would you pray this week for next week? Um, we have several, several guests signed up, and I don't know where they're coming from, so I don't know if they're saved or not. I don't know uh, what their spiritual life is, and so would you pray that God would do a mighty work in this place, all right? I'm not uh, ashamed to say I need your prayers. The ensemble needs your prayers. Other singers are going to be singing that day. They need your prayers, and uh, you know what? Think about this. Don't, don't, don't bring a visitor to church and sit and scowl while you're singing the hymns. Amen, Paul. Look like you're enjoying church. I mean, fake it if you have to, all right? But when, you, when you're singing, I'm saved, saved, have a smile on your face because they're watching. And they're thinking, well, they don't even enjoy church. Why should I come back here? So enjoy yourself, all right? You come here to worship God, and let's enjoy the worship together, all right? So come and, and have a great time in the house of the Lord next week. John chapter 12, John chapter 12. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this morning on Palm Sunday. Shocking, isn't it? Now, I said this before, and I'm not trying to cause division. We understand that this really didn't take place on a Sunday, right? The Bible says that they were in Bethany in John chapter 11, verse 1, or John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, or when Jesus would be crucified. The Bible says this is the next day, so it would be five days before he was crucified, and that would put it on Friday that he was crucified, but we know Jesus didn't get crucified on a Friday. Everybody okay? I mean, I'm not here to fight you on that, and, and, uh, but I just understand that you can't be in the grave three days and three nights and be crucified on Friday and get up Sunday. It, the math doesn't work. And so I, I think some religions like a holiday weekend, and so that's why we did that. I don't know. But... Uh, Long time ago, Pastor Strachan was moderating my ordination. And the question came up, when did the church start? And immediately the room got divided real quick. Some believed it was the day of Pentecost. Others believe it started with Jesus Christ and his ministry because he said, I will build my church. And, and well, I will have dinner. That doesn't mean I'm having it now, but it means I will. And, and so they, they started debating that. And I just kind of stood up front and let them fight it out. Amen. And uh, so they were going back and, well, you know, and, and Pastor Strachan finally wisely put an end to the conversation. He said this, fellas, it was 2,000 years ago. Just be thankful that it did start. Be thankful that you're a part of it today. And 
whether it started on a Tuesday or a Thursday, it doesn't matter. It started, and it's God's plan for this age. And I think it's much the same. We, we, can, we can get in arguments, and we can get off into the weeds, can't we? And you say, why are you telling us this? Because this is kind of the week that we like to debate this stuff. And we can get off into the weeds, and, well, did Christ die on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? When? And we make that the main issue rather than, hey, Christ shed his blood for your sins. He died on an old rugged cross. He was shamed and spat upon and beaten and mocked and scorned. Laid in a grave, but he arose victorious. That's what matters. And whether, whether or not we can figure out the dates and, and all the rest. And, and it, Listen, I don't even know if they had a, an iPhone with a calendar 2,000 years ago. So I can't look back that far. But I can know what my Bible says and believe it. And I believe that he rose from the grave. Let's look at John chapter 12. We're looking at five days before the Passover. Five days before Christ would become that Passover lamb, the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And I'm going to give you an outline very quickly of the passage. We'll go through some things quickly. And then we'll look at a last point with a couple principles. All right, we're going to do that. So look with me at verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone mad after him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, we pray. As we look at the Word of God today, we pray that it will become alive to us. Help us understand this passage of Scripture, Lord, that speaks of just a few days before Christ would die. How in the eyes of the world, his ministry has reached a climax and how they believe he will now become the King of Jerusalem, the King of Israel, the King of Kings, and set up an earthly kingdom, but Lord, it was not to be at that moment. Lord, I pray that most importantly, you would show us a couple principles today that we could apply to our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, I need your help. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, I pray, to preach your word, and may our hearts be open and receptive. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why palms? Why did the people take palms and lay them before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? We might just think, well, it's a tropical area and it's a lot of palm trees in Israel, and there are. And so maybe it was just convenient. It's just what they had. They had other trees, didn't they? The Bible talks about Zacchaeus climbing up a sycamore tree. So there were other types of trees and things there, but no palms have a certain significance in history. They represented two things. They represented goodness and victory. Goodness and victory. 
They were often used in parades when they were heralding some great hero that was both victorious and good. And so not every time a king would win a victory would would this honor be bestowed. And in fact, if a tyrant king were to overcome a city, he would not receive this honor. Even if a king was defending his own city and was victorious and yet was not considered as a good man or a moral man, he would not receive this honor from his people. This was reserved for those that exuded the goodness of God and were victorious in battle at the same time. Consider the imagery there. Jesus is good. (laughs) The greatest, greatest person who ever lived. The only sinless one. But he was also victorious, is what they were declaring. He was coming into the city and they were believing in all their hearts and with all faith that he is going to be the victorious king. That he is going to set up his kingdom. That's what they believed when they laid down the palms. We see in this passage, as I outline it quickly this morning, I'm going to jump down a couple verses so that I can come back to some verses for significance later. But we see, first of all, that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. The way the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the city of Jerusalem was a fulfilled prophecy. We notice that it was accurate in its fulfillment. The Bible says in verse 14, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. You say, why do you say it's accurate? Because Zechariah chapter 9 would speak of the Messiah when it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Understand this, in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to be declared the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he had to fulfill every Bible prophecy. And as Jesus rode into the city that day, he perfectly fulfilled Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Nobody would have thought that Jesus, the Messiah, the King, would ride into Jerusalem on anything other than a white stallion, symbolizing victory and power and strength. But Zechariah says, no, he'll come lowly. He'll be humble. And he'll ride on the back of an ass, the colt, the foal of an ass. This was not something that was reserved for royalty. And yet this meek and lowly Jesus would accurately fulfill the prophecy said, spoke about him. Not only when we think about this prophecy was accurate in its fulfillment, but it was authentication for his followers. It was authentication for his followers. Look at verse 16. These things understood not his disciples, but notice those next three words. At the first... But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and they had done these things unto him. I'm thinking in a time future when the disciples are now in the book of Acts. All those wonderful things recorded about the Acts of the Apostles, and they're off on missionary journeys, and they're preaching in far-off places, and some of them are giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, and perhaps they're standing at a stake ready to be offered, or they're hanging on a cross, and they turn to another, and they say, was it worth it? Was Jesus really who he said he was? Because we're about to give our lives. 
And they can look back at the puzzle and see all the pieces starting to come together. They may not have remembered on that stay, but the Bible says after he was glorified, they were convinced in their hearts that he fulfilled all prophecies and that authenticated in their hearts and in their minds that he was the Christ. He was the son of the living God. He was the Messiah. He is the king of kings. And so we see a fulfilled prophecy. I want you to notice, secondly, we see a faith-filled praise. Now I'm going to jump back to verse 13. I've outlined it in a strange way, but for a reason. Look at verse 13. A faith-filled praise. We see in verse 13, it says, they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried. What's that next word? Everybody say it together. Hosanna. Say it again. Hosanna. It means, Lord, save us. God, save us. It comes from Psalm 118, verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25 reads, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. It is a praise that is recognizing his power. You see, when they turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and they said, Hosanna, what they were recognizing was that he alone had the power of God to save. That he alone could bring salvation to his people. That he alone was the representative of God. That he alone could fulfill those words of Psalm 118. Lord, save us now. We beseech thee, which means we beg you. The people recognized his power to save. You know, that's the most important thing you'll ever recognize in your life. You can learn a lot of things in this world and go to hell. But even the criminal on the cross could turn to his right or to his left, wherever he was, and look to Jesus and have faith. Say, remember me when you come into your kingdom and you can be saved. You can know a lot of things in this world, but if you don't know Jesus, you're lost. Hosanna, Lord, save us. It was a faith-filled praise. It was a praise recognizing his power, but it was a praise reserved for his position. This was God's people standing up and saying, we believe this is the Messiah. We believe this is the man sent from God. We don't find in the Bible ever recorded in any other place that any other king had this praise ascribed to him, Hosanna. It was the people realizing that the emperor back in Rome, Caesar, he cannot save us. Herod the king, he cannot save us. But Christ alone can save us. And he alone is the Messiah. It was a faith-filled praise We see thirdly, as we outline this passage, I want you to notice also in verse 13, it was a fearless proclamation. A fearless proclamation. Notice what he says. They took branches of the palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Look at the next thing. Blessed is the king of Israel. I would suggest to you why I believe it was a fearless proclamation. It was fearless because they recognized the danger. Let me ask you, who was the king of Israel? It was Herod. It was Herod. It was Herod that would kill people for treason. It was Herod that was appointed and 
authorized by the Caesar of Rome to be the treacherch of that area, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel. And if you dared breathe that your loyalty belonged to another, you could be put to death for treason. Boy, that puts us in a new perspective, doesn't it? When they said, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. Listen, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 118 that they were shouting. That's what it says. They were shouting that praise. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is the king of Israel. Oh, for a long time now, I believe that had been whispered in the alleys. It had been talked about around dinner tables. They had prayed over their meals and mentioned this king that would one day take Jerusalem and be the king of kings and be the Lord of lords. But now they stood in the streets and they proclaimed, blessed is the king of Israel. What courage. Because they recognized the danger. I believe it was fearless because it revealed their devotion. They were also turning away. And understanding salvation doesn't come from Rome. Salvation comes from Jesus Christ. And when they showed their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, they made a decision that day that they could follow no one but Jesus. This took a lot of courage. As a boy, I I remember we were just reminiscing between the services of growing up at the old building and, you, you know, you kids that play video games today, you won't understand what a flannel graph is. How many of you old-timers know a flannel graph? All right? And uh, kids would just laugh at it today. But I, I remember the flannel graph. I can remember Palm Sunday and the palms on that flannel graph. And, the, and it was just a glorious picture. It was just a neat thing to see the, you know, and this, this story was always a, a triumphant story. It, it was almost like, you, you remember when David rode into the city and Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And the Bible says there was trumpets and there was music and there was dancers. And there was, I mean, they were just having a great time in this big parade. And Palm Sunday was always painted like that for me. This was just the triumphal entry of Jesus. Do you realize the courage it took for those people to be there? To stand in the gates of Jerusalem and proclaim another man king. I took courage. But I want to give you a reason why I believe. And here's where our challenge is going to come from. We've given you just a brief outline. But notice this. We see a fateful provocation. What provoked these people to come that day? The Bible tells us. Notice verse 17. The Bible says, The people therefore that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead. Notice what they did. They bear record. You say, what does that mean? It means they told others. They weren't afraid to be witnesses. Bear record That phrasing talks about it being truth. This is a matter of record. And they bear that record. They told that truth. They shared it with others. Those that were there at the raising of Lazarus bear record. And for this cause, verse 18, the people also met him. For that they heard that he had done this miracle. 
What would provoke a people to declare Jesus as king at the risk of their very own lives? Notice where these people of Palm Sunday come from. Go back to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, it's a long story as Jesus were to come to this place of Bethany. It was Bethany where his friends lived, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was Mary that would sit at the feet of Jesus and learn while the Bible says Martha was busy preparing a meal and the Bible says she was cumbered about with much serving. Not that it's wrong to serve, but there comes a time where we must commune with Jesus. And he said about this, about Mary, Mary hath chosen the best part. Jesus is kind of saying this, I'd rather have a sandwich rather than roast beef if it means she can sit at my feet and we can just commune together a little bit. So Mary had that peaceful relationship with Jesus. Martha was cumbered, trying to impress Christ with her service. And the Bible says Lazarus died. You remember the story of the Lord Jesus Christ tarried yet two days before he began his trip to Bethany. And finally, he began to go to Bethany. He even got interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. The disciples said to him, Lord, why are we tearing? And he says, oh, Lazarus sleepeth. And they thought he did well because he slept. He says, no, Jesus spoke plainly. He is dead. They said, then why are we going? He says, I'm glad that he has died. I'm glad that he sleeps so that you can see the glory of God. So as they made their way to Bethany, the Bible says that Martha got wind that Jesus was coming and Martha was never settled. She couldn't sit still and just wait on the Lord and have peace in the Lord. So the Bible says she jumped up from where she was and she ran out to meet Jesus and kind of in a confrontational tone, she said to him, Master, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. Jesus says, oh, Martha, don't worry, he'll live again. And she says, oh, I know he'll live again in the resurrection. And Jesus has to take the time to to teach her and to to help her along. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. But Mary didn't go anywhere. She waited. Then somebody came to Mary and says, the master has called you. What a difference. When the master called, she rose up and she went. And she met Jesus, and she said the same thing as Martha, but I think probably in a very different tone. She said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. Do you know what the Bible says happens next? Jesus wept. He just comforted Mary. He didn't have to lecture her like he did Martha, because they had a deeper relationship, a deeper relationship. Mary had more faith than Martha did. Martha was the one running around trying to impress God. Martha was the one that would run out to confront Jesus with her problems. And it was Mary that waited patiently on the Lord and sat at his feet and just loved communion. It was Mary that you'll read when we get to the next chapter in John chapter 12. They were at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house and they were sitting down to a meal and it was Mary that anointed his feet. She loved him. Now notice this. John chapter 11, verse 45, Lazarus has been risen from the dead. And the Bible says in verse 45, that many of the Jews which came to who? Thanks, hon. Appreciate you listening. That many of the, Jesus, Mary, many of the Jews came to who? Mary. 
who would you go to? If you're in town and you see Lazarus walking around after reading his obituary, I'm going to go to Mary, not Martha. Mary's the one that's walking with Jesus. I'm not saying Martha's not saved. Martha loved Jesus too, and the Bible says Jesus loved Martha, loved them all. But there's a deeper relationship going on there. And the Bible says when the Jews wanted to find out what was going on, they went to Mary after the resurrection of Lazarus. So I want to say this. What provoked these people to go out and stand before a tyrant king and proclaim there's a new king in Israel as they praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, I believe some of it was Mary's profession. I believe that Mary boldly proclaimed Jesus Christ. It wasn't just Mary, though. I believe the masses professed as well, because the Bible says in John chapter 12, we've already read verse 17 and 18, many that were there at the raising of Lazarus, they bear record. They told others of this great miracle. Sometimes we wonder, are we having any impact when we tell people about Jesus? I wonder how many showed up on the Palm Sunday just because they'd heard. Just because somebody told about the power of God. Just because somebody said, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And this is what happened. And their lives were changed as well. Not only was it Mary's profession and the masses' profession, we see also it was because of miraculous power. The Bible says in John eleven forty five 45, that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things, which not only those who heard, but those who had seen let me just say this. There was an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that provoked them to the point where they had a fearless faith. They were willing to make the trip 15 furlongs, the Bible tells us it was, from Bethany to Jerusalem. And that would be, I suppose, to the closest gate. But we're not sure which gate they were going into. But as they were going into the gates of the city, they would fearlessly proclaim the name of the Lord and stand there and lift up the name of Jesus Christ and cry out Hosanna and cry out blessed is the king of Israel blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord a fearless faith a fearless faith because they had an encounter with the power of Jesus Christ now I've given you an outline let me give you two principles and we're done the principles this morning will come in the form of a question. Number one, have you had an encounter with Jesus that has led you to have a fearless faith? Think about that. You say, why? Well, you're, you're talking about raising somebody from the dead. But my Bible says this about you if you're a child of God. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You've got the same experience. Now you didn't lay in a grave. You didn't stink for four days. Well, maybe, I don't know. But if you're saved today, he has raised you from dead to life. And that encounter with Jesus changed your life. 
but it's also supposed to put us on a trajectory to bring us to a place of fearless faith where we're willing to go a couple miles and stand before a tyrant king and say, no, no, Jesus is my king. Sometimes we're afraid to pray for our meal in a restaurant. Oh, somebody might, somebody might see us. My wife and I went out Friday night, and I, and I noticed there was a, a couple ladies in the restaurant that were very loud. Have you ever been in a restaurant and people, some people don't know how to whisper? Have you ever noticed that? And they were getting on their kids, and they were yelling at their kids, and they were, you know, all kinds. And that's, that's fine, whatever. And, uh, but some people just don't know how to whisper. And so you get to learn all their problems, and you get to hear all their troubles and all the things. And typically what they're angry about, right? But I did notice when we prayed for our meal, they stopped talking for a minute, and they whispered. <laughs> and I realized that their topic of conversation had changed. I didn't say anything to my wife because I, I didn't want to embarrass her, I guess, but... But I noticed it got quiet over there, and then, so what? Hey, it used to be, if you didn't pray for your meal, you were the odd one. And it used to be, if you didn't go to church, you were the odd one. And it used to be that if you didn't have convictions in Bible standards, you were the, the outcast, the strange one. But they'll call evil good and good evil. And we've totally rearranged what society is supposed to be. Hey, let's not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You've had an encounter that changed your life. Now let's go out and live for him. And let's gladly proclaim he is our king. Let's praise him. Here's the second thing I, I can draw from this. Number one, has your encounter with Jesus led you to have a fearless faith? Number two, has your testimony for Christ led others to have faith in him? Because that's what Mary and the masses did. Not everybody was there saw Jesus cry, call Lazarus out of the grave, but they heard about it. And they were led to have faith in Christ because of the testimony of another. If I'm reading the Bible correctly, I don't see anybody else at Palm Sunday but these different kind of groups of people. Either they were there witnessing the resurrection of Lazarus, or they had met somebody that bore record of it. And they said, that's going to be my king. And their heart changed and their lives were impacted because somebody faithfully told them about Jesus. Has our faith impacted somebody like that? I told you last week I was concerned about the next generation. Concerned about who was going to pastor Bethel Baptist Church. Concerned about who is going to go to the mission field. Who are we investing in? Who is our faith rubbing off on? Who are we encouraging? Who are we helping? Who are we sharing our story with? And helping them to see that he is Lord of Lords and he is King of Kings. Sometimes they'll say, does anybody have a testimony? And it gets quieter than a funeral. That is your opportunity to stand up and say, I remember a couple times when we were hungry, but the Lord has never seen his people beg bread. God has always taken care. Hey, your kids need to hear that. These young people in this room, they need to see it. Faith in action. 
I don't know how it went, but I kind of have a feeling that when they came to Mary, she didn't hide, but she boldly proclaimed. Pharisees can get really upset about it, didn't they? The Bible says Pharisees got upset. Some of the people that witnessed it got upset, and they went and reported to the Pharisees, John eleven forty six. There's always Pharisees. And they get upset about it. But you can't deny that he which is dead is now living. And Pharisees get angry at you, but they can't deny the change that Jesus made in your life. But you got to share it and you got to show it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet with me as the instruments begin to play? If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is even open. Open even now. And would you come and pray? Do you have a fearless faith? A fearless faith? Maybe you need an encounter with Jesus. Maybe that encounter took place and now the flame is just flickering after all these years. Pray to God that it might burn again. That we'd see revival. How is your faith affecting others? Do they know your story? Can they see you live out your faith? You say you believe in Jesus, but do they see you live it out? Maybe there's one here today. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure I've ever had an encounter with Jesus. I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die right now, I don't know where I'd go. Heaven, hell, I'm not sure. We want to help you today. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I understand I didn't spend much on the gospel today. But this I want you to know. The reason Jesus would ride into Jerusalem was because five days later he would give his life on a cross to pay the penalty that you owed and I owed for our sin. And if you would just simply believe that today and put your faith and trust in Christ, you can be saved. But you must believe only in him, nothing else. Jesus, only Jesus. So one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. And nobody's looking around. Would you slip up your hand? Is there one? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. Is there one? One. 